All right, John chapter four. Now, before I start reading verses 16 through 19 here, uh, it's important to understand and know if you're, if you're new or, or this, or you weren't here last week or, and didn't hear last week's message, there was a, a really interesting interaction, uh, a, a very interesting story that we picked up on where Jesus, uh, goes into this area, this region known as Samaria, where Jews typically wanted to stay out of, okay? Uh, the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other, didn't want anything to do with each other. Each other typically. And so Jewish travelers would go around Samaria versus going through it so they didn't have to deal with them. Okay. But Jesus uh, goes to a well in Samaria outside this village and he talks to uh, this lady who was there uh, at, at the time that typically nobody would go to get water. She was there at the well and Jesus uh, asks her for a drink essentially breaking all the social norms at the time. And it goes into this interaction with this woman who is shocked that he's talking to her. And he closed the conversation last week where he offered living water and she came to the point where she said, I would like that water. Now she doesn't fully understand yet what he's talking about, but she says, I would like that. I want that. And so we see the response here that Jesus has for her after she says, I want that water. I want to drink that. In, in John chapter four, verse 16 through 19, it says this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So Jesus in a really interesting situation here, after she says, I want that, I want what you're offering. Jesus says, go get your husband. Now remember, Jesus is all knowing, right? So when you read a story like this, you go, wait a second. He already knows the answer. Why is he asking her to do that? He knows her situation. But what we see here is, is a really important truth. You guys, only those people who know their loss can be found. Only those people that know their loss can be saved. And so essentially, uh, when you think about where you're at in your condition before God, um, and, and listen, if you're not a Jesus follower, like, like there's, there is either I'm a Jesus follower or I'm a sinner. Now I know that's rough to hear. And we, and we see that word taken and used as a baseball bat in a lot of ways. But essentially, we were all sinners before Christ, all of us, from the womb. My two-year-old has started lying. No one taught him how to lie. It's just happening. It's in him, okay? And so, and so you see this disconnect there between a perfect and holy God and what Jesus is doing is revealing to her her need for a savior. We have to come to that place, right? For, for all of us to understand and know uh, that before we're going to um, desire a savior, we need to know what we need to be saved from. And so Jesus is essentially helping her to realize and see her need for him. As she said, I have no husband. She wasn't lying, right? Right, technically she wasn't lying, but she wasn't telling the whole truth either. Now, before we criticize her, what would you have said? Right? Because if it's me, I'm probably going to say the same thing. Well, I don't have one. 
And I'm hoping the conversation ends right there, right? Like, how do I get out of this conversation? Now it just got uncomfortable. I don't even know this person. And, and, and so you're thinking, how do I get out of it? And so she says, I don't have one. Okay, so, so this, is, this is over. And then Jesus says, you're right. You don't have one. You've actually been married five times. And the one you're with right now is not your husband. And she's shocked. I mean, this is a stranger. A minute earlier, he's like, can I have a drink of water? And all of a sudden, he's knowing things about her that that nobody knows, that she has spent a lifetime trying to hide. And so her response is what? You're not an ordinary person. You must be a prophet. Guys, think of the shock you'd feel if a stranger were to reveal a detailed knowledge of your past, specifically those parts you're most ashamed of. I mean, just, just, I mean, some of us have been caught in some awkward conversations at the grocery store. Amen. Someone comes up to you. You're just trying to get some avocados. They come up and it gets deep. And, and it's like, Hey, I don't know what's happening. I had a conversation like this early on in the pandemic with somebody. I, I don't even know what section we were in. I think it was in the soup section. And all of a sudden there's this deep conversation and then someone's walking by and then they jump in and they're like, oh yeah. And then we're having this deep, like it, it turned into like this, this community group in the soup section. And, and it was getting way too, like, and I'm a pastor and I was uncomfortable. Like it was just too much, right? And, and so I, I think, you know, when, when you look at this situation, you guys, I think a lot of times we're really quick when we read it to go, man, what's her problem? What's that? But when you actually put yourself into the setting going, this is just a, a, a woman who went to this well, minding her own business, and a stranger walks up to her who, who you know, normally would, would not have an interaction with her. She's just trying to do her thing. And then he strikes this conversation with her and goes into detail all the parts of her past she's most ashamed of. Right? And, and if you're in that conversation, if you're in that situation, if you're in that grocery store, what are you doing? Right? You're, you're freaking out. How does this stranger know all of this? And, and, and so when we look at what Jesus is doing here, I think, I think um, we need to understand first and foremost, as Jesus is all knowing, you guys, he doesn't share all of her past in order to guilt or to shame her. And this is the same thing with us. Like, like, like you need to know that. Like, like he is not doing this to go, aha, look at you, look at your failure, look at all your mistakes that you've made. I saw all of that. That's not what he's saying. What he's trying to do is to reveal to her that, that, that she has a need of a savior. You guys, when, when conviction happens in your life and, and conviction will happen, you guys, like, like as a byproduct, if you read your Bible, you will be convicted. I don't care how spiritual you think you are, how put together you think you are, how good your heart is. Scripture gets to the core of who you are and you're going to experience conviction. You know, when you come into a space like this, I'm not sitting here back in the green room going, how can I convict them? But you're going to probably be confronted with some things that you see in yourself that you wish weren't there. And, and the reality is when there's conviction that's brought about from God, you guys, what he's actually doing is, is he's attempting to rescue you out of your condition. 
Okay, it's actually a thing that, that, that's good, right? So, so he's bringing this up in her life, not to shame her, not to just walk away from the well so she feels horrible about herself, but to reveal the reality that she needs a savior, that life hasn't worked out the way she has been operating. And you guys, that's the same thing for you. You need to know, you need to know that right now. He is not shaming or guilting you when he reveals things in your life. You guys, it's from his love for you. It's him helping you to see that you have a need for him and he wants to fill that need for you. I mean, can you just think about this woman? How imagine how empty her life was. And she's going to that well. Remember, she's going to that well, hoping to avoid anybody else. It's the heat of day. Nobody else went at that time. Her life is empty. She's, she's living in this shame, in this guilt. You know, like she is the one that is thirsty for this living water. She's spiritually bankrupt. And it's not like she's looking for God. Like she's, she's running from God. She's, she's running from, from everybody. It's interesting. I'll hear people say, uh, especially, you know, you know, people, uh, I'm a Christian, but my unbelieving friend, man, they're, they're searching for God. But the reality is when you, when you say someone's searching for God, it doesn't align with scripture because Romans 3, 11, it says, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Okay. So, so listen, the desire to follow God, to, to surrender my life to him, like, like that whole moment, that's the beginning, that conversion experience. That's when you decide I'm going to pursue him. Everything else before that moment though, is me seeking out, how can I fill this void, the guilt, the shame, my past, this emptiness, everything is about satisfying that. And as I'm pursuing that, you guys, I'm also actually running away from God. Okay, so, so and, I, and I, I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> like when, when, when God revealed himself to me in a powerful, dramatic way in my brokenness, I wasn't searching for him. I wasn't. He met me in that place of brokenness. And, and, and so we, we see her life and, and, and how spiritually bankrupt she was. And Jesus knew this about her. And, and when you look at just her life, she hadn't stopped to, to try and find happiness, right? She kept trying over and over again. She had been married five times. Guys, that's a lot. I don't care if you're in Hollywood or wherever you're, five is a lot. It's like, I don't know, after three, in fact, I had a conversation with someone. They had been married three. I said, listen, it's, it's clearly not working, okay? Five? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. But guys, you got to imagine every single time she walked down the aisle, she stood there. Guess what? She believed. This is the one. This is it. It's finally going to work out this time. This is the guy. This is going to complete that hole that I have, that desire I have to feel loved. And over and over and over again, it didn't work out to the point where now she's like, I'm not going to get married. I'm just going to live with this guy. And when you look at her situation, you guys like, like, and, and you go, well, why? Why is, she, why is she doing this? Like, do you think that she's sitting there going, man, how can I live in opposition to God? Because essentially that's what sin is. How can I just live in this? Because, because that's my purpose is to do that. No, you guys, at the very core of what she was hoping to find is she was hoping to find happiness. That's what she was pursuing. 
Guys, she was, she was looking to fill this, this lonely void she had, this emptiness, and she's literally hoping to find anything that might satisfy that thirst that she had. And, and so, you guys, you need to understand right now, because I think when we read this story, sometimes we get caught up in the number five. We get caught up in just, man, how, how much of a train wreck her life must have been, that we forget that it's never about the sin, it's about the sinner. Guys, when, when you think about, and this is, I, I think we've done a major injustice by this. A lot of times we treat these sins and we're like, oh my goodness, but they think that, or they did that, or they got caught doing that and this and that. And we can become uh, so consumed with what somebody did that we miss out on the reality that before God, we're all sinners. And whatever you've done or not done, you're still in the same place. And so Jesus isn't sitting here trying to highlight just how far she was from him. No, she's, he's pointing out that you clearly have a need for something that I can only bring, that I can only satisfy. In verses 20 through 24, she, she responds after saying, you must be a prophet. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, there's a couple different ways we can take her response to Jesus. One is she's clearly uncomfortable, convicted, and she wants to change the subject, right? Obviously, I see where this is going. He knows too much. How do I change the subject? How do I take the focus off of me? Right? So that's, that's one response that we see maybe she uh, was, was doing. But also the other thing that could have been happening here is she also could have actually been experiencing and receiving conviction. And, and in that place, she could have actually been asking him genuinely, where do I go? Because I've heard you worship here or you worship there. Where do I need to go to get things right with God? Okay, but either way, she's asking, where is the right place for me to worship? Because Samaritans had their place, Mount Gerizim, and the Jews had their place in Jerusalem. Both thought they were right. And this is actually one of the most divisive points uh, that these two people groups had against each other. Okay, we talked last week a little bit about some of the division that was uh, between them. But one of the things they agreed upon was that very clearly through scripture, God had directed his people to worship him in a specific location. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse five, it says this, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. Okay, so they both agreed on that. They both knew that that was what God had asked. There was a specific location that they were to go. But you see, the Samaritans, they stopped after the first five books, right? After the Pentateuch. They, they essentially said, after Moses, no, we're not acknowledging any of that. And we're not acknowledging any of the writers that are going to reference Jerusalem as that place, as that capital. And so they established for themselves another location where they were going to worship. And they got that location out of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 29. 
okay? And, and, and it's a situation where, where literally the Israelites went to this mountain to proclaim the blessings of their obedience to God's commands. It, it says this, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Okay, so it wasn't like they just randomly said, that's a cool mountain, that's where we're gonna establish worship. No, it actually had significance, right? Had significance to their history, uh, to what God had done. And so the danger that we all face when we limit what we're going to listen to or respond to or study when it comes to scripture is we come away with partial truths that we then fill in the gaps for. Right, So this is clearly a significant and special place, but then because they, they said, we're not going to listen or acknowledge the rest of this, they take that place and turn it into something that it wasn't designed to be. That's not the place that God had established for them to meet and to worship him. The Jews, since they uh, followed the complete Old Testament at that time, they had they knew that God had chosen Jerusalem as the place where he was to be worshiped. We see this in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 6. It says, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Later on in Psalm 132, 13, David said, for the Lord has chosen Zion, Jerusalem. He has desired it for his dwelling place. But Jesus's unexpected reply to her is that this issue of where you worship is about to be irrelevant. Neither location would be the place of true worship. See, up to this date, he, he calls out the Samaritans. He says, you're wrong. You guys established that place. That was not given under the authority and inspiration of scripture. Uh, that was you guys develop, developing that and then establishing your own rhythms of how you're going to worship. And, and, and he says, so, so essentially you're wrong in how you've been worshiping. And then he says that what? Salvation is from the Jews. Now, he's not communicating that, that only Jews can be saved. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's communicating is that, one, the Savior was a Jew, okay? Jesus was born to a Jewish woman. The Jews were set apart. They were appointed by God to be the messengers, the example to the rest of the known world, right? They were to take the gospel message. Um, it, one, in, in an interesting scene in Romans chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, we see Paul just expressing disappointment, this frustration, um, sadness to the reality that his own people, the, the Jewish people are not responding to Jesus, knowing the advantage, knowing all they know. And he, and he really bears his heart open. And in Romans chapter nine, three through five, this is what Paul says. He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. He's sitting there like, man, every advantage you had, like, like, like you, you, you're the people. Like you should be the first ones to get it, to receive it, to respond, and then to take it out there. And these very people, the ones that were privileged into that are the ones that are not receiving it. 
They were given the complete understanding of how to worship him. But Jesus says, as we see here over and over, he says, but Jesus says the hour has come. In fact, it's time now. The Messiah is here and true worshipers will no longer be identified by where they worship. Now, those who believe in Jesus can worship at any time and in any place. And then he says, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now, there's, there's something important here that, that I think we need to highlight because I think a lot of us, we, if we look at our, our Bible reading rhythms, we try to stay away from the Old Testament, right? Like, like there's some weird stuff in there and you don't know how to reconcile it to God. Let's be honest. It gets weird in the Old Testament. Lots of things happen. But that's why you need to study, understand, learn, and grow in it because what the Old Testament does that is so special, so powerful, is it gives you an understanding of the character and the nature of God the Father. And why is that important? Well, that, that, that's, that's very important because remember, what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came for the very purpose of what? Reconciling us to the Father. And so why it's important that you grow in your understanding and you learn the complete, the, all the old, the new Testament of scripture, you guys, is because you, you start to get a greater understanding of who God is. God, the father who willingly sent his one and only son for you and for me on this incredible rescue mission in order to reconcile us to the father. But a lot of times, because we don't read or listen or understand or pay attention to the old, we don't even know what the father is like. And, and, and so, and, and, and essentially he's saying, man, that's where your worship needs to land. You need to come into this space. You need to daily wake up and, and be in awe of the father's love for you. You need to respond to him. When we come into a place like this, it is such a privilege to worship and praise the father. That's why Jesus says true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. Now, when we see worship the Father in spirit and truth, we see two incredible ways that this is played out. One is that it's very core. We see the gospel, right? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. Okay, so you can't worship the Father if you're not in alignment with Jesus, right? The truth. Now, we see the truth uh, and we see the messenger, the Holy Spirit, right? And so we see all of this playing together to proclaim praise to God. But what we also see uh, within this is we see this reality that, that worshiping in spirit and truth means to worship from the depths of our soul, from our inner spirits, from the very core of our being. Okay, that's so important. And, and the, one of the greatest examples I can see of this is uh, when Mary actually sings uh, to the Lord and in Luke chapter 1, 46 and 47, Mary, Jesus' mother, it says this, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Man, that's true. That's from the depth of her soul. That, that's such a great example of true worship. And so when we see spirit here, it, it, it can mean our inner spirit, the who we are to the, to, the, to the very core there, what's actually going on inside our hearts. And we see that our worship should come from that depth, from that place. And then ultimately it has to be in alignment with God's word. It has to be 
true. So my worship shouldn't contradict God's word, right? Because when you look at God's word, you guys, this is one big book of praise. And so when it talks about truth, not only as I'm praising God in my life daily or in a space like this, should it align with God's word and should align with Jesus, with the gospel, but also my life should align with truth. That's why one of our core values is to walk in truth. Because you guys, when he's talking about this and, and he's saying this, he's not highlighting one versus the other. He's actually condemning both people groups in how they worshiped. Okay, because you look at, you look at the Samaritans, right? And, 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 and they're like, man, we're feeling it. We're going for it. But there was absolutely no truth in how they were worshiping, right? They had filled in the gaps. They, they had created and established their own way of worshiping, right? So it wasn't in alignment with truth. And then you see uh, the Israelites and, and you see them worshiping and we go, well, they worshiped in the right place. They were doing these ceremonies and all of that. Yep, that's what exactly they would say. But the problem was that it was in truth, but it wasn't in alignment. It wasn't from the spirit. In other words, their outward actions didn't align with what was going on inwardly in their lives. We've got to be careful. We've got to think about that. Where, when I'm singing, when, I, when, when, when I'm worshiping, where is that coming from? And, 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 and what I love is how it says, those who worship the Father in, in, in spirit and truth, those are the people that the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Guys, whenever you come into a space like this, I think, especially if you're like new or you want to like, you want to go, I think for a lot of us, we go, man, how do I fit in to whatever environment I'm in? And, and we create this list or this idea of what that needs to look like. And what I love about what this is saying is that the father is seeking out worshipers that are just going to worship in spirit and truth. What that means is he's not looking for, for those people that just know all this information, right? Or, or, or literally the Jews would have been right there, right? He's not, he's not looking for that. He's not looking for you to, to put on this certain facade or, or look this certain way. He is 100% looking at, are you here worshiping me in spirit and in truth? And when we go into that worship, you guys, like what an opportunity to reflect and ask myself, where is this worship coming from? Where is it coming from? It, it then says God is spirit. And it's really just characterizing what God is like. We know from scripture, he's invisible, he's, but he's divine. He's, he's present in all places at one time. He's all knowing, he's all powerful, he's perfect. He's all of these things. But because God is spirit, those who worship him must also worship in spirit and in truth. It aligns with who he is. And then in verses 25 and 26, it says this. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Now she's still confused, but, but we know that the Samaritans, they also, because the book of Deuteronomy in 1818, it says, it's, it talks about and alludes to the Savior. And it says this, uh, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And so the Samaritans also were looking for a Savior. They were looking towards this individual that, 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 that the Bible speaks to. And, and so she says, listen, I can't wait for him to come because he's going to know all these things that you're talking about and bring clarity to it. And then what does Jesus say? I am he. I am him. Guys, this is one of those moments that Jesus Honestly, he, he had been avoiding declaring himself the Messiah because he knew that if he declared himself the Messiah, he knew if he was in Jerusalem or, or in a, a heavily Jewish, uh, like, you know, populated area, he knew what that meant to them. And what it meant to them was that there was going to be political and military action. That's what they associated with the Savior. Okay, in fact, uh, in a few months, when we, whenever we get to John chapter six, we're gonna see that after Jesus does this incredible miracle feeding, 5,000 men, it says, it's not even including women and children that he fed, uh, that, that after he did that, it says this in John chapter six fifteen. it says, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, he knew what they were looking for. He knew what they were after. He knew they wanted to be saved from Rome. He knew they wanted that. He knew they wanted to be established. And so they were looking for this political, this military leader. And, and, and Jesus knew that that was not his purpose. That was not his mission. But he also knew that this woman in her purity, she had none of those misconceptions. And so he was able to just say, listen, I am the Messiah. And she's like, okay. And what's so astounding about this is like when Nicodemus had met with Jesus, remember he met with him after observing Jesus doing all these miracles. This lady hasn't seen any of that. All she knows is that minutes earlier, he was asking for a drink and now he's the Messiah. It's incredible. And, 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 and she takes him at his word. Why does she take him at his word? Simply because he told her everything she had done. That's amazing. Based upon what he knew about her, she did not doubt what he shared. You guys, salvation starts by realizing you're lost and recognizing there's a need. That's where it starts. And here's the reality. When we think of her receiving in that moment where she's at, where she's not at, I, I, man, there's so many people that are confronted with the reality where, of where they're at and how many people in that moment choose to not admit they're lost. And if you've ever driven a car with somebody in the passenger seat, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, how many times? Have they sat there and you're driving and you know where you're at? And they're like, that's not the right way. And, and, and you're adamant. No, I know where I'm going. I've been here before. Now, deep down in the depths of your heart, your spirit, you're going, mm, 
I don't, <laughs> this looks familiar. But outwardly, I know exactly where I'm at. But then there's other people, right? They're driving. Hey, you're wrong. Hey, you're right. I am wrong. Now, that's not a lot of us, right? We're honest this morning. <laughs> that's not our first posture. But I think there's some truth to this when it comes to what God does in our lives. I think he reveals some things in our lives. And unfortunately, many of us, when we're confronted with that, we go, no, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm at. I know exactly what I'm doing, God. I know what's going on in my life. Thank you for revealing this, but no, thank you, I've got this. And what we see is this rare moment in scripture where this woman who allows Jesus to literally peel her heart like an onion and get to the core of where she's at. And she is sick of playing this game. She's sick of the walls. She's tried marriage five times. And so you know what? She's just ready. Like she's over trying to pretend or to be all these things. And she allows in that moment for conviction to happen in her heart and her life. And, and, and it changes her. It changes her life. You guys, salvation comes only to those who desire forgiveness, who can confess and repent from their lives, from that sin in there. You guys, like, like it's one thing to be aware of your problems, of your sin, of that disconnect between you and a perfect and holy God. It's a whole nother thing to recognize that, man, I can't just turn. I have to actually confess and repent of that stuff because I see what is done to this incredible savior and I am not gonna be about that anymore. And so there's a repentance that happens in salvation. Guys, before we can embrace the Savior, we have to acknowledge that sin in our lives. It's there. And then we, 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 we ultimately too, we have this choice as to whether we're going to receive this conviction and go, man, no, this is actually from God. It's actually a gift that, that he's literally sending to me or I can choose to do what's comfortable, avoid it, ignore it, change the subject, uh, hope it goes away and, and continue on this journey that you've been on where maybe you don't get married five times, but you've tried other things over and over and you keep trying that and you're gonna try this and, and, and over over and over, you try these things, but you keep coming through these doors. You keep going, man, like, uh, man, maybe I should crack open my Bible. Maybe I should pray this prayer. Maybe I should give this a chance and all of that. You guys, you will not run towards Jesus until you receive him. You just won't. But you have to come to the place where you're empty and you, you're aware that you need a savior. And lastly, salvation, it only comes through embracing Jesus as your savior. In Acts chapter four, verse 12, it says it so clearly. It says, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so it's through Jesus. And, and, and listen, once this woman understood that she was a sinner, she needed to understand that he was her savior. Guys, this is so important. If you've had your AirPod in the whole service, just take it out. This is the most important part. This is so critical for us. Make a commitment. If you're gonna share your faith to never point out the sin without the savior. If you are gonna share your faith, 
If you're gonna reveal that somebody has a need for Jesus, you better share the solution to the problem. See, Jesus revealed her need, but then he gave her the solution, which was himself. Guys, I I can't stress that enough. I think people, you know, I think they're getting the message that their life's not working. I think a lot of times they're getting the message that they're, they're living in opposition to God, but, but man, what, what are we doing if we ended at that? What are we saying? What, what are we communicating about them? Guys, thank God that he loved you and I enough to where he revealed the need, but then he also pointed us to himself, the savior. Like, like he loved you in that condition enough to share the end of it, right? Enough to share, but there's hope. And so for any of you this morning that are reading this story, any of you this morning that are coming to this space and you've got baggage, you've got a story, you've got history, and you go, I'm only gonna go into this place because it's not technically a church, it's a venue, so I'm okay. And you come in here, you just need to know that this is such a beautiful story that exposes and reveals the heart of God. You are not beyond his grace or his love. And he, he chose to meet this woman at this well in spite of all of those things. And he loved her enough to show her her need for a savior. And then like only he can, he was the savior for her. You guys, if he's doing anything in your life right now, it's literally to bring you to him. Okay, the enemy takes that and tries to take it to guilt, which is away from God. He tries to bring shame to that. What God is trying to do is bring conviction to draw you towards him, knowing that you, what can only be filled is, a, is, is through a relationship with him, through a surrender to him. And so you guys, he loves you so much. Understand that even right now, if he's revealing what's going on in your heart, it's because he loves you. He is for you. And lastly, I just want to say this. If you are in this room and you go, man, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christian, but at work, at home, at school, you look the exact same. You talk the exact same. I'm just going to tell you right now, it looks, it looks weird. What are you doing? It's literally like driving around lost, but you have the clear directions. And you're actively choosing to continue to be lost. Guys, that makes no sense to me. And I hope it doesn't make sense to you, but, but I just want you to know that because if you're gonna share your faith and your life is in alignment with the message, that's what people see. It's confusing. It's contradictory. And so we wonder, man, why don't people receive what I'm trying to share with them? A lot of times, you guys, it's because there is a disconnect between the gospel you're presenting and the gospel you're living. And so you guys, ultimately, when we look at this woman turning It was the validation of the Savior. And you guys, there is no greater validation to the message you're going to preach than your testimony, than your life. Ultimately, that is the one argument that nobody can argue with. You guys can debate me on verses, theology, all that, all day long. We could do it all day long. But at the end of the day, I can tell you my story. What are you going to say? That didn't happen. 
Were you at Cannon Beach that day? No, then you don't know. Go back to that moment, you guys. He loves you so much. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna celebrate the life change that we've seen in this church as people publicly declare and show you that Christ has transformed their life. And as you watch people in, in, in a moment here, as, as we celebrate baptisms and, and you watch people go down into the water and come back up, that is the visible reminder. That is the visible, tangible picture of a life before Christ. And, and it's an image of, of literally Christ dying uh, for uh, humanity, dying to sin, all those things coming out of the water, demonstrating and accomplishing victory over sin and death. And as a result of that, we have the opportunity to experience salvation. And so literally when people go down in the water, it's a picture of, of death to their old self, to their old life. And as they come out of the water, it's a picture of the new life, the victory, the peace that they now walk in because of Jesus. And so, and guys, that's something only he can do. And some of the stories, oh, I wish I could just take a whole sermon on the, some of the stories of what God is doing and, and some of, of, of how God literally met some of these people at the well. Crazy. He's working. Let's celebrate that. Let me pray.